The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 47, The Haunted Pompeii House, Part 2. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. A transplanted historic home, now sitting atop a cliffside in far west Austin, has its residents questioning whether or not they're alone in their residence. Kevin, Sherry, and their six-year-old daughter Jolene moved into the home in 2018, and all have been having both unique and shared experiences ever since. Kevin, a local musician, candidly shared with us in the previous episode all he's experienced in this home. He's reported faces peering from bookshelves while he recorded music, shadow figures standing in doorways, sightings of what he believes to be a little girl wearing white stockings, and a disembodied voice captured on his studio recording of a song. Following my interview with Kevin, the family had sort of dropped off and appeared to have lost interest in pursuing further investigation with us. However, I was shocked to get a call from Kevin's wife Sherry one night, informing me that she'd finally witnessed something herself. She saw white stockinged feet run across the upstairs kitchen stairway. In this episode, we'll travel to the Pompeii house for the first time to conduct in-person interviews with Sherry and their six-year-old daughter Jolene. We're going to uncover more activity that this family's experienced and bring in a psychic medium to see if they can provide answers as to what's really going on in this historic home. Stay tuned. Once again, I'd like to give a big thank you to AG1 for their continued support of our show. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash night owl. Also, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash night owl today to get 10% off your first month. Hello, night owls. Valentine's Day is just around the corner and we're excited to announce we're having an extra special haunted Valentine's event at the Clay Pit, one of our favorite haunted venues from the show. The amazing folks at the Clay Pit have worked with us to create a perfect spooky Valentine's experience, including a delicious Indian food buffet, meet and greet with yours truly and team member Alexis, a full guided ghost tour of the clay pit, a paranormal investigation of the haunted Bertram Hall upstairs, and tarot readings by City Alchemist. All that I just mentioned is included in your ticket purchase, but please note that drinks are not included, but you can purchase them at the event. As a bonus, a special Night Owl-inspired cocktail menu will be available for this night only. We're limited to 30 guests and have sold almost all the tickets already, so by the time this airs, I'm not sure if we'll have any left, but I wanted to announce this just in case there was. Grab your tickets now at thenightowlpodcast.com under our events page. I'm so looking forward to spending Valentine's with the few lucky people that get to attend this event. See you soon. Secondly, we have a new ceramic campfire mug in stock. Many, many years ago, I created these mugs with our original logo and they sold out incredibly fast and I was sadly unable to get any more made. It's been several years and I've been looking and I finally found a new company that was able to pull it off for us. Now we have our new updated ghost logo on a black campfire mug with white specks. 
I love it. You will too. This is a limited run and they might sell out. So collect one while you can. And stay tuned because sometime in February I'll be adding a new sick glow-in-the-dark enamel pin to our shop as well. Visit our online shop at thenightowlpodcast.com. Lastly, The Night Owl is looking to work with a variety of individuals with varying types and levels of psychic mediumship abilities. We've seen a huge community of listeners come forward, informing us of their gifts. So if you're looking to use your gifts to help others and do it with a safe, respectful team, go to thenightowlpodcast.com and click on the Psychic Form tab. There's also a link to this tab in our bio on our Instagram page at The Night Owl Podcast. If you're interested in lending your abilities or want a place to hone your psychic skills safely, submit a form to us and we will consider you for a future case. Thank you, Night Owls. We're very excited to share the new places we'll be going to soon and hope to work with many new faces in the future. Following my initial interview with Kevin, I learned so much about the history and hauntings of the home that he and his wife Sherry owned, known as the Pompey House. At the close of the last episode, I explained how it seemed that the family decided against pursuing a night owl investigation, and sadly I was going to have to shelve this case in the archives. However, to my surprise, many months after the interview with Kevin, I finally got a call from his wife Sherry, where she explained to me that she'd just seen something for the first time in her house. Something that resembled a common sighting her husband has had in the house numerous times. It was just my daughter and I at home, and she's on vacation from school this week. So we went to bed in the same bed in our guest room, and we said our prayers, and we turned off the lights, and I went, oh, shoot, I I don't have my water. I got to go upstairs and get some water. And so the house is all dark. And I walked through the downstairs and I walked to the stairwell and I turned on the light and I started walking up the stairs and at the top of the stairs, I saw white stockinged feet. White stockinged feet just scurried as if, almost as if I had found a a kid playing hide and seek and they didn't want to be caught and it just ran. But it was just the feet. And I paused. I just thought, did I really see that? And then I remembered that my husband has talked about seeing these stocking feet and that he believes there's a child spirit in our house. And I went, oh, well, maybe, maybe that was her. Maybe I saw the same thing. And I kind of brushed it off and I went to the fridge to get water. And my daughter came up behind me and I was like, oh, Joe, I'm just getting water. I'm going to come down. And she goes, oh, yeah, I don't want to be in bed by myself. So I just came with you, got the water, went downstairs. I tucked her in and I'm about to turn the light off. And she goes, did you see the ghost upstairs? And my jaw dropped. And I did, it was like my brain froze. I didn't know what to say because she's six. And so I don't want to create fear or I just really thought, what as a parent do I say in this situation? And so I said, well, what did you see? And she said, oh, I saw a man. It was almost like a white blob. I saw a man in the parlor and I paused and I said, I, I did just see the vision of feet running at the top of the stairs. And she and I just looked at each other in shock. That, to me, like, I could have seen it myself and blown it off and maybe even forgotten about it. But then that my daughter saw something 
seconds later and that we both kept it quiet until we were back in the bedroom together. I just, it's a wild experience. And all day today, that's what we've been talking about. And I've kind of been trying to calm her nerves and say, uh, I don't even know what to say to her. But um, it definitely was a big deal for both of us to have a physical sighting of a spirit or multiple spirits at the same time. Now, with two more eyewitnesses of apparitions in this historic home, I knew I had to pay this place a visit, and soon. I was able to coordinate a day where team member Alexis and I could visit Sherry and Jolene and conduct in-person interviews about their experiences. Kevin was actually traveling on tour for his new album, so it would only be us four. I was eager to simply just see the space, as it sounded fascinating, just from the descriptions alone. On October 15th of 2023, Alexis and I had finally arrived. Before we dive into the interviews though, I think it'd be best to give you a summarized history and somewhat of an audio guided tour of this home so you can sort of visualize the various spaces and settings when we discuss activity in them. The Pompey House has a long and quite interesting history. The house was built in 1875 by Adolf and Lily Pompey, German immigrants, and the house was located at the northeast corner of what was then August and Palmetto Streets. Current day, it's Nueces and West 22nd Street in Austin, Texas. The Pompees lived there until 1880 when they built a larger home on the same lot and began renting this house out. Because of its close proximity to the University of Texas campus, which opened its doors in 1883, and the huge demand for rental housing, the Pompee house served as a successful rental house for the next nine decades, providing income for the Pompees and its subsequent owners. During those 90 plus years, the Pompey House was home to a wide assortment of people which included teachers, students, librarians, state employees, soldiers, engineers, and even ministers. The Pompey House was even occupied by such notables as author and historian Walter Prescott Webb, who wrote the historical masterpiece The Great Plains. And there was also a literary historian and poet, Selma Metzenthin. Raunik, whose work included stories and poems featuring the life and customs of early German immigrants. And in the mid-60s, the Pompey House is said to have been actually one of Austin's hippie houses, a place where artists and musicians would hang out. It is rumored that Janis Joplin once was a visitor here. In the late 1970s, the Pompey House was now over 100 years old, had become quite dilapidated, and was subject to demolition. Thankfully, the house was purchased by John Miller Morris, a scholar, historian, teacher, and author who relocated the home in 1978 to the Northwest Oaks neighborhood off Jollyville Road, where restoration and remodeling brought the Pompey House back to life. In 1985, the house was moved once more to a location in Far West Austin by John Miller Morris, where additional restoration and remodeling took place. This beautiful and soon-to-be 150-year-old house remains at this final location surrounded by magnificent vistas of the wooded hills and valleys in West Austin. This original 1875 home is now nestled in the picturesque hills, sitting atop a more modern home that was built carved into the cliffside underneath it. To get to the home, you have to walk down pathways of stone and gravel that lead you to what appears to be the first and only floor of the home. However, this is really the second floor and the original historic Pompey House. There's a large front porch with two front doors on either end of it. These doors open into the front room of the upstairs. To the right are a pair of beautiful stained glass window doors that open into the gorgeous parlor. This room has floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, what appears to be old floral or botanical wallpaper, rustic furniture, 
tons of books, records, and musical instruments and recording equipment. Furthermore, in the parlor, Kevin has remodeled the attic space above it to be a loft that has stairs leading up to it. In this is more recording equipment, and it's where Kevin likes to sit and handle his recording process. Now, if you go back out of the parlor into the front room, which has a jukebox, a large dinner table with a typewriter at the end of it, and an antique black leather chair with matching ottoman, on the opposite side of this room, there are two other doorways. One leads to the kitchen, the other door leads to an office. There's also a back door that leads to a large back patio that overlooks the beautiful cliffside. But if we push through the office side door, this opens up into a bathroom and ends with a large closet. Pushing through the kitchen side of the house, it leads through the kitchen to a large master upstairs bedroom. But just before this, to the right, there's a stairway that leads to the more modern home built underneath the Pompey house. Downstairs, you'll land in the main living area that's very open and spacious and has an attached small kitchen area. It's more like a bar, to be honest. Straight ahead of the stairs on the end of this bottom floor are two other stained glass window doors that open up into a beautiful guest room with a spare bathroom in it. Directly above this guest room is the parlor, just for reference. On the opposite side of the downstairs is a laundry room and spare bathroom, along with two spare rooms. One of them is Jolene's bedroom, and the other, her playroom, that's right beside it. I know it's not easy to picture, but I hope this helps you listeners just a little. When Alexis and I arrived, we first wanted to sit Sherry down in the parlor and conduct our first interview with her. I'm Sherry. I bought this house with my husband in 2017. When we got it, it had been on the market for two years and no one wanted to buy it. Um, It had a lot of problems, but we found it and we were like, this is our dream house. And the craziest part about it is we walked in and there was a poster on the wall about announcing a book release of El Llano Estacado, which is a place in Texas where my husband's family has ranched for generations. And nobody, I mean, very few people know about this part of Texas. And so for us to walk in and see this book release about Eliano Estacado, that was like, we already felt coming in, this is our house. And then we saw that, okay, this is definitely, that's a sign we're supposed to be here. The house was originally at 22nd and Nueces. It was first built by a German wheelwright. Then from there, I'm a little shady on the history of it. I know two sisters bought it at one point, and they added a lot of the gingerbread house features that are there. I mean, and they were maybe the second owner of the house. And then I don't know the timeline. And from there, it was a schoolhouse, a boarding house. At some point, the parlor served as a bar. And that that's like how detailed my knowledge of the house goes. John Miller Morris was teaching at UT. And one of his students in his class was a descendant of Walter Webb. And so John Morris was obsessed with Walter Webb. They sparked a friendship. Through that, found out that the house that John Morris was living in was Walter Webb's house. So that was all kind of this serendipitous thing. So yeah, John Morris was living here. He was renting it. It was at 22nd and Oasis. So he was living there with his wife. They were renting. He was teaching at UT. It was a one-story house, so now it's two-story. They put it when they moved on top of a bottom story. Yeah, and he lived there for a long time and loved it, and then it was going to get torn down, and so he bought it, and I think the university owned it, and he bought it from them for $10 and then spent $10,000 moving it. 
So he first moved it to Jollyville on a lot of land. And we have the pictures of that when he first moved it. So he put in the plumbing, the electric, they were living there in Jollyville, and a developer came and offered them money to buy the land. And so he sold it and moved the house again just a couple years later. So moved it here, and I think that was 1980. And again, my husband knows a little bit more of that. And so then he went into the big renovation here because this neighborhood has a minimum square footage requirement. So it had to be 2,500 square feet. So that's why he put the downstairs... And they had to really do like excavating of the limestone into the side of the canyon. So then 2017, we were living, already living in a dream house, which was another moved historic home. We had some traumatic events happen with family and had to leave, found this house. And it, like I said, had just been sitting on the market for two years. Part of it was that uh, John Morris in his will had asked that they don't sell the house to someone who was going to tear it down. And this neighborhood is not really a 1875 Victorian house neighborhood. So the, it was hard to find someone that wanted to come in and take it on. And for us, it was our, you know, our dream house. And here we are. And the first, the very first experience I had was a dream where John Morris came to me in the dream while I was asleep and woke me up and laid in bed next to me. And it was a very intimate dream. And I told my husband about it the next day. I was like, I swear that, that you know, you know, there's a feeling of someone in a dream. And then there's very rarely a dream where you're like, no, that was really a person that came and I felt it in my dream. So I told my husband that and I think everyone thought I was a little wacky with that, which is fine. But then while we were renovating, we had the electricity off in the house um, because we had to disconnect the power and put in a separate pole to renovate. And before the renovation started, we had to pack up all of his books. So I was here alone. Joe was at daycare. I don't know where Kevin was, but I was sitting in that front room when you first walk in packing up the books. And I was on like day three of it. And I had just packed up the last book And all of the light fixtures in the house started vibrating and shaking and like making a noise. And I thought, okay, there's no electricity. Is there a truck outside? So I ran out front and I looked like maybe there's an 18 wheeler going by or something that would shake the house. It was dead silent. I came back in. It was still happening. Took out my phone, got like two seconds of recording, and then it stopped. That was when I was for certain that there was some kind of energy in the house. Because we have people that knew John come by a lot and want to tell their stories or their experiences with the house, we've had people come in and they go, oh, thank God you've kept the books. The books are the the center of the house. We're so glad you didn't get rid of his books. And so that speaks to that experience in my mind that as I was packing up the last book, it was almost like the house was expressing anger with me not knowing I was going to put them all back as soon as we were done with the renovations. When we bought the house, because John Morris had passed away unexpectedly, he had a heart attack. So all of his stuff, all of his furniture, photos, most everything he owned was here. They had a two-week-long estate sale. And so anything that didn't sell in the estate sale was here. I'm a realtor, and I just negotiated. I don't even know why. I just said... Anything that's left in the house that the executor of the estate or his daughter, or you know, if no one wants it, we want it. Which ended up being a huge pain in the ass because then we had a whole house of furniture that we had to decide what we wanted and didn't want and then stored in our garage forever. But I don't know why we did that. It just sort of was 
seemed like what should happen. And the books do carry like this energy. It just is the feel of the house. I don't know why. The dream, the strong dream of John visiting me and then the vibration of the lights. Those were the my two experiences. And then it, it was kind of quiet for a while. Then the next thing I... And I think during this time, Kevin was always having stuff he saw or felt. Um, but the next thing I had was just a camera of mine. I'm a hobby photographer. Just fly off of a shelf again in that front room, which is funny because when I talk about things in the house, I always think they happen in the parlor. But as I'm mentioning it, it's that room a lot. It was my T4 camera just flew past my head. So it's a very nice camera. And you know, when something falls off a shelf, it just falls. And this like went past me by, you know, it, it probably flew four feet out. No one else was in the room. This was when we had a couple staying here who were having a lot of friction and like actually yelling in the house at each other. Our family doesn't yell and there's not like, I don't know. There was, it was our friends who were going through a hard time and we didn't know it when they came to stay. But then they were here for like 11 days. The camera happened during then. Also during that time, cabinets were opening and things were just flying out of the cabinets. And Jolene has a, had a babysitter then who was at the house a lot all the time before and after. And during that visit, she was like, the spirits in the house do not like what's happening here. They're really upset. She was like, I can't believe there's just dishes flying out of the cabinets. But I felt that was really specific to, maybe even it could have been their energy doing it in a way. I don't know, it, it, but it was specific to those two people being in, in the house and not being happy. And I had forgotten, but Jolene mentioned hearing voices, and that's my most frequent experience in this house. And it's always in the kitchen, and it's always someone says my name. To the point where I respond to it, Joe is giving me the sign that means connection, so that's what she's heard as well. I'll just hear it say Sherry, and it's not a voice of someone I know, and it's when Kevin and Joe have been out of the house it's happened, and I'm always like, yeah! And then, like, there's nobody here to say that. And I'll run downstairs because it, it feels up close and far away at, at the same time. It's like, it's loud, but it doesn't feel like it's right next to you. It's super clear and it feels like they're right there, but also... You can tell it's yeah, a distance. Yeah. Yes. And then, Joe, are you saying that that's what you've felt too? Yeah. Sometimes I'm, like, at a different place than the house and I just feel like I hear somebody say, Joe... And then I'm like, look around, and I'm like, well, there are people here, but they don't know who I am, so how would they know my name? I think, like, a girl saying, like, Joe or something like that. I don't feel like I could put a gender to it, which is so weird for a voice, but I guess if I had to, it would be a male voice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think in the at, there's been times where I assumed it was Kevin and then have been like, oh, Kevin's not in the house with me. The other day, and it's been a long time since anything has happened, you know, months maybe or maybe even a year, Joe and I were going to bed and I realized I needed to get water. So um, we were going to bed downstairs in the room below the parlor and... I got up from bed. She was laying down. All the lights in the house were off. And I walked to the stairwell and turned the light on and walked halfway up. And it was like I caught someone that didn't think I was coming. And I just saw feet scurry across the top of the stairs. And right after, Jolene walked up behind me and I didn't say anything to her. And I just was thinking, did that happen? <laughs> like, I definitely saw these feet. And I was just kind of in shock of... 
I hear Kevin talk about seeing things and I've heard Joe talk about seeing things, but it's like, I don't know why it was, it felt really confusing. Like it almost shocked my brain. Then Joe came up, we got water, we go downstairs, she gets in bed and she goes, mom, I just saw a ghost in the parlor. And then my shocked brain went doubly shocked and I just thought, shoot, do I, do I tell her? And I probably sat in silence for a whole minute, frozen. And then I went, yeah, I just saw feet. I think we both just had an experience with a ghost upstairs. But I do feel like it's two separate things. Intuitively, that's what I feel. But then if you think about seeing them at the same time, maybe it's not. I don't know. It looked like feet and maybe feet and ankles, but it looked like running, scurrying feet, white feet. And I think I put them in socks because Kevin talks about seeing these stockings, like these stockinged feet. But if I had seen it without his story ahead of time, that's not how I would have described it. I would have just said running feet. Yeah, he says it looks like little girl's white stockinged feet. And so, and then I saw mine at the kitchen and the top of the stairs, so sort of centered around the kitchen, I guess. He sees things in the doorway between the office and the front room, and he feels that there's something in in that line right there. He also feels like if you keep the doors shut, the energy doesn't go around the house like it stays contained in its spaces so he's like yeah these doors and the office doors so he's out of town now for a month and you know we just had that joe and i just had that experience and he was like well if you guys don't want to have that when i'm gone just keep the doors shut and i don't know if that's true but if i think about you know it was rare that we had the parlor door open and that and we did Like one out of five months, we would have it just open at night because the cats get in there and mess up the studio. But that's when Joe and I saw the, the feet and the person in here. My very last experience I've had, which is sitting in the room below the parlor and having the doors open. And sometimes it'll be when I'm sitting and watching TV. I sleep in that room a lot and the door, it's not like a normal thing for the doors to open. The cats try and get in and the cats try and push and they can't push the doors open. So when the doors open, they both open at the same time and they open slowly and it feels ominous, like someone is entering the room. And so I've had that happen when I'm sitting in bed with Joe, reading a bedtime story. I've had it happen sitting on the couch. We've had it as a family sitting and the doors have opened. It mostly happens when we're reading. It doesn't really happen anytime else. Did it happen to you and dad when he was reading to you? Yeah, it always happens when somebody is reading. I would not have put that together. But then with her seeing the reading reading and this being a schoolhouse. Yeah, you might have some energy that likes that. Yeah. And you kept your books. There's a lot to do with. There's like, it feels like this house is regenerating the energy that's been maintained here. Kevin was not, did not have any spiritual leanings or beliefs really before this house there was like a little bit because i've talked to you guys about i'll go talk to mediums and kevin would like entertain that maybe that was true because the experiences i had were really strong but since he's in this house like he reads tarot cards he fully believes in the ghost and but you know now that i'm saying that he did have experiences at our old house so just a couple like orbs and stuff what about his own like methods as far as his craft no that that's what i'm changed since this house and the way he writes has changed there's a typewriter over there 
Yes, we've both he and I have always used typewriters. Okay, you have. But he hasn't, like, he'll sit for hours at his typewriter here, which he wouldn't have done that necessarily before. And I, I don't want to speak for him, but I think, I believe he's mentioned feeling inspired by the house. You said the doors open. If you were to, like, place um, a person opening it, would it be, like, a child, older person? Um, somebody with a lot of force. Is it like slightly opening? Is it opening all the way? They're opening all the way slowly. And I, in my mind, I feel like it's an adult male. And I don't know why, but that's what comes to my gut. You mentioned that when you bought the house, it needed a lot of work. Like what specifically, more or less, do you remember? It was infested with raccoons and ringtail cats. The previous owner, John, had been putting buckets in the attic for the raccoons to use, so he knew they were there. And I guess it was like switching out the buckets for them so they wouldn't mess the whole attic. By the time we moved in, those buckets were full and overflowing with raccoon feces. The raccoons had punched a bunch of the windows out, especially in the attic area. There used to be a lot more stained glass, but the raccoons destroyed all of it to get into the house. Um, And then because of that, there was just like the urine problem with raccoons going to the bathroom in the attic and not great insulation. Termites had eaten a lot of the exterior walls There used to be a bridge leading to the front door and it was all rotted out. So we had to take that out. There were rotten boards in here. There was just like a lot of um, deferred maintenance. I think living in this house, it's, you know, it's over a hundred years old. It, it is a lot to keep up. So I could see if I was just a single person, it would just, I could see where it got that way after living here, after moving it twice, then living here for decades. And then it sat vacant for two years. I had a reading once. When I do it, I'm just trying to connect with my dad who's passed away. But during the reading, the woman was like, I have to stop because the person coming through, she goes, I, I, it's, it's a man in your house. And I think he, he owned the house and he wants to say he's sorry he left it in such bad condition and that he loves everything you've done with the house. She goes, and he's of shorter stature. He's like five, six. And she was like, and described how he looked. And it, it's, that's John Morris. She like described how he was dressed, his height and everything. And I was like, okay, that checks out. And this woman has no idea where I live or who I was. It was, she was a psychic in Australia who I called without, you know, it was a phone reading. Um, so I, yeah, I th- and and again, the reading, I wasn't calling her to do a house reading and that came up for her. Um, and she was just like, yeah, he's there, he's around, he checks in on the house. And, and then Kevin, in one of his readings, someone mentioned, and I don't know if it's the same woman that mentioned a girl or not. I feel crazy talking about how many readings we've had, but she told him that, she felt there were spirits here that weren't attached to the house that were attached to the land and were passing through and were coming in and kind of confused at what this was on their land. So indigenous people or who used to live here. So yeah, that's the insight we've gotten from personal readings. Following Sherry's interview, we wanted to see if Jolene was comfortable sharing some of her experiences with us. Sherry said that she was, and we sat on her bed and asked her a few questions. So what was the first time you remember? Did you hear a noise or did you see something? I always hear weird noises, so I think it was a noise. And I also sometimes hear, like, 
people talking, but I'm never sure who. Where Where are you when you hear the talking? I'm usually in my the kitchen or the room where you walk in. And um, so you heard voices. Yeah. You say it's multiple voices at once or just one at a time? Like sometimes it's like da 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 da, and I'm like no idea because. Usually my my mom or my dad is taking out the trash or one is going to the bathroom. So then I'm all by myself. So I just hear random noises and I have no idea what they are. Okay. But they sound like voices? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And if you, it's okay if you don't have an answer. Is it always the same or is it different all the time? Like could it be a woman? Could it be a man? Could it be a little kid? It's different. Every time? Okay. Yeah. And if you had to guess, where would you think it's coming from in the house? I was going to guess. I would guess from the parlor. Okay. I hadn't heard Jolene's perspective on the more recent experience her and her mother had, so I asked her to tell me about it. I was in the kitchen, and then I looked over to the side, like in my dad's office. I just saw, like, this big white thing that was as big as my mom. And it just looked really big, and it was white, and it kind of had arms, but it looked like if you like you imagine a ghost, like like that kind of. The outline. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. Like not a defined shape, more like a. Like if you're drawing like. Yeah, and then was the parlor? Do you remember if the doors were open or were they closed? Opened. Okay. And it was in the kind of in the doorway? Yeah, it was like close to the door, but not so close. And then in, at the time of day, was that at night or during the day? Night. And were there lights on or was it kind of dark? Uh, I don't think any lights were on. I think just like one. And the way you saw it was the thing was more white, though. So you could see it better? It yeah. wasn't like a shadow. Yeah, it was just like pure white. All the lights were off in the house because we had just gone to bed. So the stairwell light was on and then the kitchen light, but no lights in that side of the house by the parlor or the entry room. And you were kind of in the kitchen area, you said? Yeah, I was in the kitchen. And, like, I was kind of close where you would walk into, like, the room where you walk in. I was kind of close to there. And then I just, tr- so I, I was, my head was turned and then I turned it, like, straight and I just saw that thing. And then your mom eventually saw something too that night yeah so she was walking up the stairs and then she thought she saw little feet like running and she didn't tell me that and i didn't tell her what i saw until we went downstairs i told her that i thought i saw something like a ghost and then she froze in silence and then she said I saw little feet running, and that's what she saw. Yeah, because, like, she thought she saw a little girl, and I saw, like, I thought, like, I saw a grown-up. Jolene had another incident she wanted to share with us, and this one pertained to that black leather chair with matching ottoman in the upstairs front room I described earlier. So there's a black chair over there, and I've always thought I've seen, like, people sitting in it, and that makes me a little scared because I never know what it is or whatever it is. Like, sometimes I just see, like, like if somebody was reading a book and 
all the people were surrounding it. Like, if you're, like, at a preschool or something, and, like, the teacher's reading a book and all the kids are around you, like, hearing you read the book. And so you see, like, what looks like a real... Is it, like, a real quick thing that you see and then it goes away? Or is it, like, sitting in the chair? Yeah, it sits in the chair for a while. Oh, wow, okay. There's um, other people, like watching her if you were like at a preschool and somebody was like if the teacher was reading yeah then like if all the kids were sitting on the carpet like listening to the teacher read a book okay cool knowing that in the history of this home the house was once a schoolhouse made this testimony from jolene very interesting jolene has actually been making gifts or drawings for the spirits in the house because she apparently has been sensing things for a while in this particular incident she shares a story about a gift she had made for one of the spirits. So a couple days ago, I tried to give the ghost a bracelet, and I put it down, and I thought I heard this, and I got scared, so then my dad did it. Nothing happened, so sometimes that makes me feel like like the ghost is talking back, but I'm not exactly sure. And where was that when the bracelet thing happened and the noise? I was in the room where you walk in, I put it down, and then I thought I heard like like something if it was like banging on the door. On the door. And that's yeah. the front room? Yeah. Okay. Following these interviews with Jolene and Sherry, I wanted them to show us around the house. One of the very first places they took us was the guest bedroom downstairs, where those double doors would open by themselves often. These doors don't regularly open by themselves, but... But, but... One time me and my dad were reading, and just suddenly, the doors just opened. And one time you and I were going to bed, and, and you, when you close these, they close very tightly. Yeah. Like our dogs and cats can't push them open. But her and I were in bed, and I was reading a bedtime story, and both doors just very slowly opened. And most and she and I looked at each other, and we were like, mm, that's not like the wind, it's not the AC, there's not pressure in the house. But when it does happen, it feels intentional, and it's both doors. Is this your room? Is this her room? No, it's okay. the guest bedroom, guest room. and we we sleep down here together a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More recently, Jolene and Sherry had been sleeping in this guest room, and they had started to notice a more uncomfortable feeling. Alexis and I confirmed that these doors absolutely do not open on their own easily. We tested out various experiments, none of which would even make the doors budge. And when we forced them open with our own hands, they would only separate, then stay still. They didn't hang in a way in which they could open all the way slowly if somehow they opened in the first place. So their numerous accounts weren't easily explainable. Moving on, Sherry wanted to tell us a little more about the previous owner's items that were left in the home when they purchased it. The guy who moved the house, he moved it twice. Yeah. So when we bought the house, it came with all of his furniture, all of his books. Mm -hmm. So... I was going to ask you about that. Is there anything remaining from that here of his? All of the books in the parlor are his. The coffee table in the parlor is his. There's some artwork well, around the tiz. You didn't know that? I never knew that. And a lot of the books in the office and in that front room you walk in are his mm -hmm. books. And he wrote his name in each of them, where he bought it, and the year. So it's like super personal. Yeah. Yeah, and then on this side, this was the garage. And then when we bought the house, we turned it into like kids' bedrooms. Got you, yeah. Yeah. When when did y'all convert it into bedrooms? Um, 2017. 
Alexis and I explored most of the rest of the home, then we moved outside. Alexis wanted to note something he picked up during our interview process, something that Sherry had mentioned about having to stop construction due to so much limestone in the foundation here. As we know, it's a long-standing theory in paranormal research that limestone, because it contains quartz, is believed to possess the special ability of absorbing and replaying energy from the past. Limestone. So, like, they were trying to dig, and she said that the limestone was too much, so they oh, just yeah. gave up. So, this, yeah. All of Austin so, is so thick. But this area, here, it's in the hills. Up in the hills, yeah. yeah. Did you want to take a walk outside? Yeah. Let's do it. I want to see what the side looks like. Okay, we're stepping out on the bottom floor. One thing to note is that Kevin said that he feels that that parlor, he had a lot of feeling of Native American energy as well. And he also says, for some reason, that parlor where he plays his music and he feels like people watch him all the time. He just says, I don't feel like it's one thing. I feel like it's a portal. Mm. And a lot of things are coming in and just kind of taking a peek. We know for a fact this area is all kinds of Native American stuff, so... I, I mean, I even got the feeling of caves, like there's caves out here somewhere. Mm. Uh, I think we should go check out this parlor. Let's go check out the parlor. Is this the one we came in? Yeah. Alexis took some time to fill out the parlor. It just feels like you're in a different house. You know, like, um, you know, the, the image that came to mind was in the Beetlejuice, whenever they're like, we're going to redo the house. And he's like, just leave this room alone. That's what this place is. Obviously, it's been messed with, but it feels like I'm getting the... The pressure on the chest feeling. It feels like the person who used to be here is still here. Because their stuff's still here. You know what I mean? It's like they they still recognize a lot of what's in here. So it's like, oh, I don't need to leave. Everything's still here. Lexus and I wrapped up for the day and knew that we wanted to come back. Next time, we'd come with one of our psychic friends you've heard on the show, Jeffrey. Jeffrey's been of help to us on two other cases the Dripping Springs Vision Center, and the Williamson Museum. Thankfully, he was down to join us again, and on October 21st, we returned to the Pompey House with Jeffrey. After this short break, we'll explore this historic home with our psychic friend to see what, if anything, he might be able to shed light on in this unique case. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Therapy Online. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash night owl. When January rolls around, everyone seems to be obsessed with making New Year's resolutions. To try and better themselves, of course. It may be that you resolve to go on a diet or lose a few pounds. Or maybe you decide that this is the year you want to join a health club or get in better shape. Some decide they're going to change their diets completely. Or you might vow that this year you're going to finally become more organized. These are all wonderful goals, completely worthy of pursuing, but sadly many people quickly abandon their resolutions because they set unrealistic goals, don't have the willpower it takes to continue them, or don't have the support of others to encourage them in acquiring these goals. How can an individual find a realistic way to better themselves? Therapy could be the answer you're seeking. Therapy can help you find your own personal strengths, so you can ditch the extreme unrealistic resolutions and make changes that will actually stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills, setting realistic boundaries, and empowers you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. If you're thinking therapy could be right for you, why not give BetterHelp a try? That's Better H-E-L-P. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to each individual's schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with the licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time with no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Night Owl today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's betterhelp.com slash night owl. This episode of the Night Owl Podcast is also sponsored by AG1. Visit drinkag1.com slash night owl and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash night owl. I know my Night Owl listeners have heard me say before that I sometimes have an extraordinary busy schedule. On a normal workday, I have to put in eight hours of my regular nine to five, and after clocking out from that job, I usually put in several hours on tasks associated with the producing of this podcast. Then, when you throw into the mix grocery shopping, meal prep, trying to get a workout in, it makes things pretty jam-packed. For this reason, I like to start each and every day with AG1, first thing in the morning. I like to think of it as a nutritional insurance. This way, I know no matter how busy the day gets, I'm covering my nutritional basis right from the start of the day. My recipe for beginning each day with all the daily vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and much, much more is really simple. I fill up my shaker with extra cold water, add one scoop of AG1, shake it up, and drink it. After that, I'm ready to tackle the day head on, knowing without a doubt that all my daily nutritional needs have been met. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why we've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash night owl. That's drinkag1.com slash night owl. Check it out. Okay, we are at the Pompeii house in Austin. It is Saturday, October 21st, 2023, and Jeffrey has been blindfolded, actually blindfolded, and is being guided by Alexis, and I'm just going to follow along with, uh, with a mic. Like with all the sensitives I work with, I gave Jeffrey no information about the location we were investigating. He rode with me from a coffee shop blindfolded and had no idea where we were going. But also like other sensitives I've worked with, Jeffrey had been meditating and picking up on things already. One thing in particular that stood out was something he texted me. He said he was getting strong imagery of a dimly lit room with wallpaper. This immediately drew the parlor to mind. It's one of the more active areas in the house and it has a significant amount of wallpaper. Actually, it's more of a cloth material on the walls, but you wouldn't know this unless you went right up to it and felt it. It looks just like wallpaper at a glance. Jeffrey showed me his sketch of this pattern of the wallpaper, and from my memory, it did resemble a lot of what I remember the walls looking like in the parlor. So I was excited to get Jeffrey inside and see if he'd make the connection to the parlor eventually. Jeffrey asked to remain blindfolded still, so we guided him to the front porch, where he stood there a while, absorbing things. Kevin was still on tour, and today, Sherry and Jolene were out of the house and were giving us full access to explore on our own. They'd be arriving later so we could check in on them as well. Today, I also had team members Franklin, Alexis, and Mikey with me. I've, I've got some pictures. The, the main impressions I got were this like close-up of the pattern on the wallpaper. I don't know why. And then I saw a, a woman. I tried to draw a sketch of it. It was almost like I saw a photograph of her. Like, you know, it was a picture taken like decades ago for some reason. And I heard the name Beverly. I don't know if she's Beverly or not. But then earlier... Um, about an hour before I left, I, you know, I centered myself and I opened myself. I had the, the little sketch pad because I wanted to try some stuff. And um, then I started seeing 
I knew it was the same house, but it wasn't the same woman. It was a younger woman with longish hair, thin, and she was very nervous. She kept tapping. She kept looking at her watch. She was waiting on someone to pick her up or something like that. But it was, she wasn't scared. She was just really anxious. And she kept tapping. But then at another point, and this is going to sound silly, but I saw like stacks of like Tupperware containers, you know, with the lids coming up like they were singing. Like, but what it was was like noises from the kitchen. And then there was tapping, almost mocking her tapping or banging on it, like someone doing like opening and closing a drawer, you know, just to make the noise, like to mess with somebody. And then I started writing and I was pretty much aware of what I was writing, but it's, it's weird. Even though I, I can tell it's my handwriting, when I opened my eyes and looked at it, it's still like weird. So I'll show it to you, but it was like something was in the kitchen and that was part of the nervousness was that it was whatever she did when she would tap, it would bang, you know, like mocking her, trying to make her more nervous. I don't know, but definitely like noises from the kitchen is a big deal. That was one of the first things. I heard that the other day, too, when, when you sent me the original message. Did we talk on the phone or did we? Just text. Text. Okay, yeah. But that was one of the things, too, was noises from the kitchen. So that came up twice. The image of the room you saw, uh, you text me, but can you describe it on the mic? Yeah, well, what's weird is it's not the whole room. It's, if I'm looking at it, everything's kind of, like, twilighty, you know, and it's giving me the impression that it's not brand new, right? But... I can see kind of maybe a mauvish colored curtain on the left-hand side, maybe kind of hanging off kilter. But And then on the far right, there's either like a fireplace mantle or a piece of wood trim. It's just like a dark mahogany-ish, you know, darker colored wood. It, it could be the, a door frame. I don't know. But the wallpaper pattern, it's not really a fleur-de-lis, but I drew it. It's little, almost like groups of kind of a feather shape. But it was really big. Like, I was seeing the pattern bigger for some reason. It was, and, and I drew a picture of it close up, but then I drew it, you know, like what it would look like on the wall. What's incredible here is that even blindfolded and not yet in the house, Jeffrey is picking up a lot of imagery that connects to the parlor. The main pattern of the wallpaper has what appears to be a botanical pattern and has a larger pattern that's very prominent throughout that resembles a fern with leaves fanning out. There are also many other botanical elements and flowers throughout that give off the same shape and pattern similar to the fleur-de-lis that Jeffrey referred to. Additionally, the main color and background of this wallpaper and much of the furniture in this parlor is close to a mauve color. And lastly, although there is not a wooden fireplace, what really stands out in the parlor are the wooden accents of the bookshelves, the floors, the ceilings, and the door frames. I don't know what to make of the female presences that Jeffrey was picking up, as they don't fully relate to anything particularly reported here yet, but this was early, and I wanted to let Jeffrey explore and absorb more. But as for the noises from the kitchen, that actually was a hit, but I was going to wait for Sherry to arrive and make the connections once that happened. But that's all I saw, and then I saw the, the woman, and she's just like, like she was walking through a door and someone snapped her picture. She's probably in the picture, she would probably be in her 50s, she's got shortish you know, gray in her hair, big glasses. She's got on like a sleeveless little white shirt with, with little brown striped details. And I, I drew a picture of it. And then just like brown pants. She looks like somebody's aunt, you know, that kind of a thing. Like, and I don't, I don't know what she has to do with it yet. But, okay. and then I heard the name or the name popped in my head, Beverly. But I don't necessarily know that that 
older woman is Beverly. I don't know who Beverly is. Okay. You want to venture inside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to go blindfolded or you want to Yes, take it I'd off? like to go in blindfolded first. Because okay. I remember when I started thinking about doing this blindfolded, it was like, I felt like we were going to come into one room, but I was going to be like, the room with the wallpaper is further back or something. This was another hit as the parlor was in fact on the far right side of the house, to the right of the front room, which is where we were entering now. Well, I'm just trying not to get any like visual clues from like furniture and things like that that would tell me about who lives here. Mm-hmm. So much is what I just want to see if I can just come up with. But I want to stay blind. I want to go in the kitchen. Okay. Let's try the kitchen. Behind you here, follow Alexis. He'll guide you. Turn around. Oh, I am turned around. Yeah. <laughs> the kitchen's that way. You're right in the center of the Pretty kitchen. Pretty much in the center. Okay. I'm seeing that classic thing of like coming in and the drawers are open and then the, the banging thing again. So I want to say that maybe they've come in the kitchen and seen things, you know, not where they're supposed to be, that kind of a thing. Stuff's been moved. Or they could hear a drawer opening. Jeffrey was hitting again here. This is one of the few things that Sherry actually reported happening in the kitchen area. But in this moment, Jeffrey wasn't picking up a whole lot more and wanted to sit in the front room to let some time pass and allow him to read the space fully. Franklin, Alexis, and I decided to go downstairs, out of earshot from Jeffrey, to assess Franklin's EMF readings of the home. I got an anomaly okay. on here. It's a constant anomaly right above us. It's not electrical and it's not radio. It's a constant EMF and it's vibrating. It's just doing this. And it's right above us, so there's nothing here causing it. But it might be the smoke alarm. But it goes up as high as you're standing right above us. Right where that green carpet is, right at the foot of the ottoman of that chair. Huh. It's a constant two to three. Just going back and forth, back where and forth. Where the black chair is? Yeah. yeah. The little girl, um, this, the daughter, says she sees a, a lady sitting there reading to children. In that chair. In that chair, and this used to be a schoolhouse. Oh, when you talked about oh. Okay. So I was like, the black chair? Yeah. This first anomaly was picked up upstairs in the front room by the black leather chair in Ottoman. We were now directly below this, and Franklin was picking up more anomalies. We followed them into the guest bedroom, where the family have been experiencing the double doors opening by themselves. What are you picking up here? It's just a random EMF field. As you can see, it goes down. Yeah. It goes down again. But it's just in the middle of the it's air. It's just huh? right here. It goes away. It's almost gone. It's almost going away. But look, it's it's not electric. It's not radio or microwave. It's just a random EMF field. This is what it's doing upstairs. This is above the this is below the parlor, right? Yes. We decided to follow this strange reading by going outside of this room and seeing if we could pick up anything out there. Okay, we made it to the back patio on the bottom floor. IMF here? Yep. What the heck? It's gone. It left. Are you serious? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the meter, huh? No. No. So. One thing that we haven't really addressed is the Native American presence. Yeah. I think there has been, I mean, this seems like a place that it would have had, because you've got the creek, the canyon. And you said the owner found a skull here? On the trails, like in the canyon, the the previous owner. They're still good friends, and they talked to the, the previous roommate with him. So the original owner, John Miller Morse, built these trails for her, for walking and meditating and all that stuff. 
One of the theories floating around in our heads was that this land had to have been an ideal spot for Native American tribes throughout history, given its geographical makeup. The other thing that stuck with us was the story Kevin shared with us regarding John Miller Morris, the previous owner, unearthing a human skull when he created trails down to the canyons and creeks below. We felt there could possibly have been a burial ground, but of course we couldn't know for sure. This was simply just a theory. But following this, we were able to prove the theory about this place having a strong Native American presence. Here's what my dad dug up in his research. Archaeological investigations of this area in far west Austin have revealed historical evidence of various Native American tribes, which included the Apache, Comanche, Tonkawa, and Waco, with the Tonkawa being the oldest residents in the area. The wooded canyons in this area provided all the criteria necessary for favored campsites of Native American tribes, which included such features as protected shelter, availability of perennial water sources, and close proximity to quality flint for weapons and toolmaking. In this neighborhood, there's actually a historical marker that was erected by the Texas Historical Commission in 1976, attesting to the use of this area by Native Americans, Spanish explorers, and ultimately Anglo-American settlers. With no other hits outside, we made it back upstairs to check up on Jeffrey, who had been exploring the parlor finally. He did make connections to those visions he'd had and the sketches he'd done and believed this was definitely the room. How are you doing? I'm trying. I'm just not picking up a whole lot. Yeah? I, um, some stuff from that first set of things that I saw are kind of making sense. The, the tears in the wallpaper and that mauve color of the couch and all that, that all makes sense to kind of the image that I saw. There's the Polaroid. There's a stack of old photographs. Like, I didn't look through them because they're not mine, but here's the, the walkway with more than one front door image that I saw. But I did... And again, it could be the light, but when I was standing over there, it looked like there was a man sitting in that chair for a second. This was another interesting hit by Jeffrey. The black leather chair with the ottoman in the front room is the chair he's referring to here. Now, he's seeing a man in the chair, whereas Jolene saw a woman, but I still find this very fascinating. In like, not a dressy suit, but like black pants and jacket and a white shirt, you know, like rumpled, just sitting there, like really comfortable. I don't know if that chair's been around here for a long time or if it belonged to someone that was special to the owner or something like that, but the only other thing is that the energy in that room still feels different, you know? Mm -hmm. Even the air in that room feels different. Jeffrey was referring to the parlor in this instance, which really goes along with everyone's feelings about that room, especially Kevin and his family. But even Alexis felt something the last time we came here regarding that room feeling very different than the rest of the entire house. But here in this moment in the parlor, something very upsetting actually happened regarding my recording. I had set Jeffrey down and had him try to read the parlor's energy because I knew of all the experiences had here. I documented what he picked up right off the bat and it was spot on for what Kevin had shared with us on his first interview. However, the upsetting part about this is that when I got home, the audio file was not there. I've only had this happen once before, a technical error like this, and thankfully the first time it was on a piece of audio that wasn't crucial. This, to me, was crucial audio to share, and now I couldn't with you. My hope is that in these past 46 episodes, I've earned your trust enough that you'll allow me to share with you a call that I did with Jeffrey to reiterate what he'd experienced in that moment. I know it's not as good as live, in-person audio, 
but it's the only thing I could do other than just summarizing it myself in narration. So here's the call I did with Jeffrey after I learned that we lost this moment of the recording. There was something that happened when, when we first went in that, and again, I think it's tied in with the all the different iterations that the house has been and the people who have lived there and the creativity that really charges things up in that room because that's where so much goes on. But I almost, I, I remember almost getting the impression that there were almost like faces in the wall, not like buried behind the wall, but just like an audience, you know, that were attracted to the energy of that room. Because when you step into that room, like so many places we've been to before, that there's, it's got its own vibe. And I remember it was almost like, I can only imagine how more vivid and heightened those those faces or those presences of like an audience would be like we've talked about in in other parts of the investigation that it seems to pick up at night and it definitely seems to pick up when he is there and he's working so that's what i remember most about the the feel of an audience and it had to do with all the books and all the record albums and all just the you know i use the word layer a lot but that's what it is you know all the layers and years of of an energy that those objects some of which were in the house when they moved in, I think, some of the books, but then the things that were brought with them, the the recording equipment, the tools that are actually used and become imbued with someone's personality, you know, I think that has part of it as well. Because when I realized there was the recording equipment upstairs and things, I think is when the very specific instance of there's something on a recording, there's a voice on a recording. And I do remember distinctly just it just sort of came into my head. I just knew there was something that was recorded that was picked up on a recording when he was working. And that's when, after that, what followed was these feelings of, of, of sadness. Just this sort of, I'm trying to remember how exactly to describe the sadness. It wasn't, not loneliness, but like a missing, you know, kind of a longing, missing sort of sadness. Almost, maybe sorrow is the word better than sad. But I remember feeling that emotion connected with the it's hard to describe what i see in my head it's i got this image of you know like some of the recording equipment but then almost like when you're looking at a uh, on a computer where you can isolate you know from this second to this second like that bite or that clip whatever it would be that space and it was there's like a darkness there and it was like that's where this sad voice comes through and it's you know like embedded on that on that recording Sitting in the parlor and hearing these two readings come out of Jeffrey's mouth was shocking to me. I kept my cool and didn't validate him yet, but he picked up on two very accurate things that Kevin had experienced. The faces and audience that Kevin felt the first night he ever played his guitar and sang in the parlor. Then there was the shocking voice of a recently deceased friend he believed he captured while recording a mutual friend's music one night. The sadness that Jeffrey was picking up ties in as well since they had both lost this friend recently. Is there a granddaughter that stays here? Not a granddaughter, but a daughter. A daughter? Okay. And I keep getting this masculine energy. Not not so much from the house, but there's like, there's some kind of a man involved. Maybe it was the one that was sitting in the chair. There's nothing, I'm not really seeing anything sharp like I normally do. Mm-hmm. So. We hadn't made it downstairs with Jeffrey yet, so we decided to venture there next. He'd been picking up on some strange energies, little dark minion type things, but he wasn't sure what he was seeing. He also was sensing a larger dark shadow figure, 
So we hope that going downstairs might lead to some answers for these things. Okay, we're gonna take a walk downstairs with Jeffrey for the first time. Have they seen any shadow figures like, you know, like creeping around at night when everyone's supposed to be asleep? They've seen something. Uh, they've seen a couple mm -hmm. of things for sure. Okay. Um, Has it scared the little girl? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, it's uh, it's weird because it, it's kind of like the other places that I've been with you. It's more. It feels like more than one thing, but I guess that's just the way it goes sometimes because one thing attracts something else kind of a thing. But it's almost like there's something bigger and then the little little guys that I was sensing jumping around are kind of like almost like followers or minions or something. But I mean, not everything is a demon, but there's something shadowy. Do you get a sense where that like... Well, I'm thinking that it scared one of the... I'm hearing a little girl crying, sitting up in bed. That kind of a thing, like, you know, in the night after the kids are in bed, but they've seen something or... Was it in the room with her? In this room here? In the, her bedroom? I want to ask if it was in... I can't tell which room. This is a play. Was it in here? It, this is her like, bedroom, and there's only one little girl who lives with... It's all, they only have a, but it was one it, child. Like, did it scare her awake? She was sitting up in bed crying. She hasn't told me that. She's told me some other things she's seen, okay, but I nothing about... I won't tell you yet. Yeah. But I... Yeah, all this, like, looking around through doorways, I keep getting that. Like, mm -hmm. definitely. Let me know what you see, like visuals. The thing when I wondered if it had scared one of the kids, then it's a shadow, but it's bigger, like it's over six feet, mm. as opposed to the little guys that are smaller than I am that were jumping around upstairs. Okay. And this is like a shadow, like a like a shadowy thing. They had just more of a little black outline, but this is like just this big, creepy, dark shadow. There's so many doors in this house. Going in and out, and you know, doors that don't go anywhere, and so that might have something to do with it too. I always think the play, you know, the the land being near the water, and this, all this, there's a lot of quartz, you know, in the ground, that can have something to do with it too. But you want to take a walk around the outside of the property too? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Okay, we're gonna venture out just to do a little walk around the perimeter. Just Jeffrey and I. You picking up anything about the house, like history or like? Well, it's a lot older than I originally thought. But I mean, it's been redone on the inside and the bottom looks, you know, the bottom looks like it was redone in the 80s probably. Mm -hmm. But it's got a unique history. It was, was it built here or was it moved here? So the top was moved, moved here. Moved here, yeah. The bottom was, was the bottom built in the last. 80s for the purpose of planting it on top of here. But the top is significantly older. Maybe that's why I couldn't quite pick up on it. I was seeing the old, old wallpaper, but I was seeing something more like from the 80s, and there's the foundation. So that kind of makes sense. I mean, I'm not trying to skew things to say, oh, I got a hit. No. But I'm just, well, the, okay, the fact that the house is an old house on top of it, that puts it in a liminal place. Surrounded by limestone. Yeah. And I was seeing more, I, this is what I was seeing when we came up, and I still had the blindfold on. The, rock, the actual rock shapes, but yeah. I knew it was limestone. So I mean, mm -hmm. that tracks. I was surprised that nothing of John Miller Morris had come through for Jeffrey. However, I realized that he may not even be haunting this place. But to me, knowing his obsession with the home, his sudden death, this family keeping all his items in the home, 
It was all kind of the perfect recipe for a spirit or energy to at least be present based on my knowledge of paranormal things. So I decided to start to bring some things to Jeffrey's attention and see where it would lead. I'm really curious if, <clears throat> and I want the guys to know I'm telling you some stuff because I want to see what you pick up. But I was hoping you could pick up on some of the previous owner history too. I'm mm. curious if you would connect with I'm looking that. to see if I see anybody looking out of the windows mm -hmm. or anything. <laughs> um, well, I kept seeing a man. I kept feeling like a man. Um, what am I getting from him? I'm, Something about smoke. A couple of times I, I smelled like almost like someone's clothes when they smoke a cigar or a mm -hmm. cigarette. Brown hair. I don't I don't know if that was I don't think it was him that I sensed in the chair though. It almost felt like the guy that I saw in the chair was someone that the owner or the man the the man knew. Like maybe that's where the chair came from or something, but um this would be, you're talking about someone from before then, though. Mm-hmm. Again, with a house like this, there's how many generations of people yeah. lived in it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then when you pick it up and move it, oh. Mm-hmm. Is there anything uh, happening with your, your senses of the property, like this land or anything like that? I, I don't know much about it yet, so I was just curious if you were picking up anything. Talking about doorways, portals, things that keep activity going. You've got an old house that was uprooted and moved and put on a new foundation that they don't look quite you. The house is perched on the edge of a hill. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are all these things that are saying this house shouldn't be, you know, or it's like we made this house come here, you know what I mean? It's not like just a house built on a flat piece of land like normal. They had to make this buildable. They built the new foundation and somehow managed to put a whole other house on top of it. This is quite an so that, I mean that's just a whole lot of crazy energy right there for sure. Maybe the guy I'm thinking is the one who built the foundation and all that stuff. It's not like Mr. 1900s that built the original house. A 70s into 80s that that whole vibe was one of the main things that it that's the way it tasted mm -hmm. when you first let me know about the place. So that's something that's been consistent. I'm seeing uh, jeans, but uh, like a maybe a suede jacket, not a windbreaker, but like a, a jacket, a blazer kind mm -hmm. of a thing with maybe thinning hair on top, but brown, kind of longish in his 40s. And he's like, he's not mad or everything like the girl, but he's just kind of walking around like he's in charge of things. He obviously, if he could have had this done, was commanded some money. You know, he was a man of means, but... He's not angry or anything. He's just, he's one of those guys that's got a lot of money and makes things happen. You know, not so much, it's not even about being like super businessman. It's like, I'm going to move this house. I don't, I don't get like, you know, the corporate CEO type vibe from him. He doesn't show off about, you know, mm -hmm. the jeans he's wearing or, you know, the jeans he wears like four times a week kind mm -hmm. of a thing. So it's not about that. So he was comfortable with that. There's something about him and the having a mus musician in the house, the music. I don't think that bothers him. I think it attracts him. Really laid back, though. Have you felt that presence anywhere in the house particularly? In that front room where that green carpet is, yeah, for sure. I don't know enough about John Miller Morris to know how much of this lines up with him. However, we do know that he was a professor and an author. He did do a lot to keep this house from demolition and had to move it twice. 
and from the photos I've seen, I know for a fact he had brown hair. And ironically enough, I found out from sources that know John that he did wear jeans often, he smoked cigarettes privately, and had a favorite brown suede jacket that he loved to wear. I even have a photograph of him in it. The other thing that lines up was how Kevin feels John is the energy that is present in the front room where Jeffrey just said he feels the smell present strongly. Kevin told us when he writes his music or poetry on that typewriter in that room, he feels like John stands behind him and guides his writing. At this point, we move back upstairs in the front room so Jeffrey could read the space more. But yeah, I can't in this room. I don't know if this room is exactly like this back then, but like right here, just he's not nervous, but he's just walking back and forth kind of here, like, you know, mulling things. Thinking, he's a thinker. You couldn't see it, but Jeffrey was walking back and forth between the office doorway and the typewriter and back. To my surprise, this is the path that Kevin confirmed is the path he feels the presence walks most often. Jeffrey definitely was picking up some strong reads here. But he was getting tired and needed to take a short break before Sherry and Jolene were going to arrive. Why is that big mean shadow thing in a house with that guy? I mean, his energy is definitely still here. Whether his like conscious spirit is still here or not, I don't know. But the it's almost like like it's like I said, it's two different houses, two different vibes, but like when the stuff's going on up here, it's different down there and then it switches. So whenever the shadow thing is up here all of it comes with him and vice versa when it's down there like at night when it's quiet is when it's creeping around down there. Jeffrey then began to express something he was picking up regarding Jolene, the homeowner's daughter. Apologies, during this recording with Jeffrey, a lot of my team members were talking very loudly in the room further away, so if you hear voices, it's just them in the background. I just wonder if she's so if she's scared to say something, you know how kids are sometimes are afraid to say things like they're either going to be not disbelieved, I don't get that feeling, or in trouble, but maybe she wants to, if she doesn't talk about it, maybe it'll go away kind of a thing, but I just get the feeling like maybe that's something we would catch out of the corner of our eye and maybe dismiss that has jumped out in front of her, you know, kind of a thing. She's seen more. Um, and I wonder if she's heard things, like something whispering to her. I just get that sense right now. So, I mean, you want to be careful when something, you know, because kids have that brighter energy and everything, so it might be attracted to her in that way. But, I mean, whatever it was that scared her in the night liked doing it, you know. And I think that was the thing maybe that wrote, I'm going to fuck with her. And when I was doing the writing this morning, I thought it was talking about the, the woman in, that I was seeing, you know, the, looking at her watch, but it could have been someone else because it was a much darker voice. It wasn't the same as the little mischievous, impy energy. Even though everything's felt really low-key, I'm really strained because, you know, I haven't f- tried to force anything, but I'm super concentrated and I'm getting really tired like physically tired. And it could just be trying real hard, but it's things aren't just coming as easily as they usually do. And again, it feels like everything's been damped down, it's been turned down. Mm-hmm. Either they don't want to be seen, or the family is one of the energy sources and they're not here right now, I don't know. I don't know. 
Jeffrey was making a point here I actually was thinking about regarding the first investigation with him. We'd decided to come during the day and Sherry wanted to give us space to explore on our own. However, with Kevin gone as well, I was curious if the energy in the home was different due to the fact that we were here as strangers and during a less active time of day. This very well could be impacting some of Jeffrey's readings. But just then, Sherry actually arrived. Jolene wasn't quite back from her babysitter yet, so I told Jeffrey just to start sharing some of what he needed to share with Sherry. Did she set up in the night crying? Like something scared her in the middle of the night? Oh yeah. And screaming, kind of, yeah. yeah. She I has like hear. night terrors and like walks into my room crying and I can't calm her down. Yeah. And she doesn't ever say what it is. It's like, well, when we first got here, one of the first things I picked up on was like almost like a little black little impish kind of thing, looking around, the, always looking around the corner. I was being mischievous. Yeah. And I was like, do they hear doors in, in the kitchen, you know, or things moved around and just little cranky things like that. But when I went downstairs, I went, this is like this big shadow and those little things follow it around. But this is, it's not one of them. It, these are just like little elementals or something. It's still this whole like looking around doorways, which are in between spaces, liminal spaces. I was surprised to learn that Jolene was in fact having trouble sleeping, waking up scared with night terrors and coming to sleep with Sherry. Jeffrey had picked this up when he was downstairs seeing that dark shadow figure standing outside of Jolene's bedroom. It was quite surprising to hear this validation from Sherry as I had no clue of this actually going on. I was going to need more time to investigate this further and continue investigating this part of the case. But Jeffrey went on to describe the male presence he believed might be the previous owner, who we all knew as John Morris, but Jeffrey was still being kept in the dark on all this information. He also described the other male presence that he saw sitting in the black ottoman. He brought up the two female spirits as well, but wasn't getting much more from them, and there were no connections that Sherry could actually make with them either. Finally, Jeffrey did get some validation for the kitchen activity he kept picking up on. But any stuff ever moved in the kitchen or do you hear the drawers open or anything like that in the kitchen? There was just the one time where the cabinets flew open and all the stuff came out. It was mm. the cabinets under the stove. Um, and it was during a time when we were having a lot of activity. Sort of what you're describing is my experience in this house. I just feel like I can never keep up with anything. And Jolene swears she's not the one like moving all of these things out and throwing them everywhere. But I'm constantly just picking up and being like, damn it. Why, can the, why can't I ever get it clean? At this time, team member Alexis had worked up a photo lineup of random men, one of which included John Miller Morris. He was in his late 40s as it appeared. We made sure he was not wearing his suede jacket so as not to lead Jeffrey on with the image. The three other photographs were of random men Alexis pulled off the internet in a similar age bracket, and they were all white males. It's also important to note that there were no photographs of John anywhere in this home. Alexis pulled the lineup up on his phone for Jeffrey to have a look at. We were anxious to see who he would point to as the male presence he felt strongly and saw pacing in the front room. Yeah. We have from a, the original. And again, no pressure because I know you can't see details that well, but we have the previous owner in a, in a lineup. I don't know if you could read. Just just take some time looking at it. It's between two of them. Is it him? That's him. Ah. I'm just like, there's no fucking way he's going to be is, is, is that the one that you're seeing? It, this is older, but I can, I can tell from this the skinniness in his long neck and everything, yeah. This, and that's the one that's... older than what I was seeing in it. Yeah, he's probably showing you younger, I would imagine. That's what a lot of them do. A lot of them do show up yeah. younger. 
Jeffrey didn't hesitate. He pointed to the photograph of John Miller Morris, the previous owner of this home. Sherry had the reaction you just heard, but what you couldn't see was that she ran into the kitchen in shock. She couldn't believe that Jeffrey had just done this. But at this time, we actually got a text that Jolene was on her way back to the house from her babysitter. So we sat down with Sherry to kind of debrief what we were going to talk to Jolene about when she arrived. I guess you haven't heard a lot, but when Stephen came and interviewed the two of us, Joe was saying things and then started saying a bunch of stuff she had never told me. Mm-hmm. That Yes, she sees someone in that chair. Mm. Cool. But her and I do this for connection and sign language. And then while I was telling my story, she kept going. And I was like, oh, you have that happen too? Or, you know, you picked up on there's things she hasn't said. And mm-hmm. You said something that clicked and I didn't confirm it, but you were talking about her hearing something. Can you maybe go through what you were thinking that she was hearing? I wondered if she heard something whispering her name. Yeah, because yeah, I'll hear it in the kitchen. And then I was telling that and she goes, connection. And I was like, oh, you here? And she goes, yeah, they say my name. So she confirmed that last time we were here. Our biggest concern right now was, of course, this unexpected darker presence Jeffrey had picked up downstairs near Jolene's bedroom. I wanted Jeffrey to share as much as he could with Sherry before Jolene arrived, as we were just not going to reveal some of the scarier stuff to her during our talk with her. What I saw might have had a suggestion of a head in one arm, you know, because it was leaning like this, but the other little impy things, I could see clear little outlines. They had little human shapes, but this was just sort of Where do you feel dark. Mostly? The big dark thing? Mm-hmm. In the little hallway outside the girl's bedroom. That's where I saw it go like that, and her crying and everything. But it's, I don't know where it is right now. Mm. See, if that's her bedroom door, it's just like that, just dark, with maybe a little bit of a suggestion. On the inside of the room? Like inside her room? Outside, in the hallway there. Like, there's the door from the living room area. Yeah. And then here's her bedroom. So in that little That little area. Yeah. Jolene arrived and we introduced her to Jeffrey. They shared some stories about the shared experiences like seeing someone sitting in a black leather chair, hearing the voices call her name, and when she seemed more comfortable, I brought up the question about being afraid in her room at night. Hey Joe, is anything ever, do you ever get scared in your room? Are you scared of anything in your room? Did you need any help with that? Or, cause we can sometimes I help. sometimes get scared in my room. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just like to sleep with my mom because if I get really scared, I just feel like I want to sleep with my mom, mm-hmm. but I do get kind of scared because I've never noticed anything in there. But I think, what if I've never noticed something? What if somebody, what if somebody wants to check it? out in there. So that's why sometimes I like to sleep with you. Sometimes you wake up in the night. What is that? Do you ever, do you remember what makes you wake up in the night? Sometimes it's nightmares or sometimes I feel like there's something stuck under my bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. You feel like something's there with you. Yeah. Jolene wasn't admitting to anything in particular and that could be because she simply hasn't seen anything or it could be that she's not ready to share. But we absolutely do not push children when it comes to these things. And it's always best not to ask leading questions regarding scarier things in cases like these with kids. But Jeffrey was sweet and left Jolene with some tips on what to do if she got scared in her room at night. By the end of this, everyone was very tired from a long day here at the Pompeii house, and it was time to pack our things up and head home. We weren't through with this case yet, and we'd plan a second investigation soon, but we said our goodbyes for now. 
When I got home, I realized Jeffrey picked up on so many things, but there was one thing he never really hit on. The little girl in stockings. That was the main reason that Sherry reached back out to me and got us re-involved in this case. She'd finally seen what her husband had seen. But throughout the many hours we spent there this day, Jeffrey never once picked up on this presence. But I knew that we'd return eventually and hoped that maybe we could get some answers regarding her. And I always have to remember, certain spirits are not certain psychic spines all the time. They sometimes choose who they decide to come through for. But at this time, I was also working on the beginnings of another case, one at a tattoo shop in a town north of Austin. And I had a call scheduled with someone I was supposed to interview regarding their experiences there. This woman was named Michelle, and I knew from the tattoo shop's owner that she possessed strong psychic abilities as well. I had a call already scheduled with her just a day or so after we got through with this Pompeii House investigation, and I was sitting on my back patio conducting a phone interview with Michelle about this new tattoo shop case. I recorded a great interview with her regarding her experiences there, but when the call came to an end, I was shocked that she spoke up and said she was picking up things remotely about a case that I was currently working on. I hadn't told her anything about the Pompeii House, only briefly mentioned that I was in the middle of a case in Austin. I didn't even say anything that would note that this case involved a home or a family. Michelle kindly asked me permission to share what she was getting from this location, and I said, yeah, if you're okay with me recording it. The house that you're doing, does it, hold on, um, let me think on it, let me develop it a little bit, and I'll I'll give you a call or I'll send you a text. Well, now I want to know more because I, I purposely didn't t- didn't tell you it was a house, but it is a house. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, I was I was avoiding the issue. I kept saying building because I didn't want to give you that clue, but it is a home. Right. Does it have a porch on two sides? <laughs> yes. And uh, there, this house, I believe, is put on a structure to where the concrete is around the edges of it, and it doesn't really have a lot of footing underneath, so probably some kind of stones or something. I feel like there's a little girl in it, a little girl okay. spirit. So I see a little girl standing outside of it in a pair of patent leather dresses. She's a, she's a city girl because she, like my people were poor. So they lived in the country and they didn't have shoes except for church in winter. Yeah. But this little girl, it's obviously spring and she has shoes and stockings and a white dress on. I feel like, I feel like thirties or forties. And she okay. would have, uh, yeah, that little dress on with the little belt and the puffy kind of lay down sleeve, but she definitely has stockings on and a pair of patent leather shoes. Another psychic, one my team and I have never met, who lives four hours away and who had zero information about my current case at the Pompeii house, was picking up on a little girl spirit with stockings. Shortly after this call, still without any information regarding this home or this case, Michelle was getting bombarded with images and information. So much of it was validating pertaining to this case, and it eventually led her to reveal something that aligned with Jeffrey's readings from the day he came here. So much so that I knew I had to ask Michelle if she'd be willing to make the trip down to Austin and investigate the Pompeii house with me. She said she didn't have a choice. This case was already calling to her, and she couldn't rest until she set foot in this house. So I made sure she was going to get that chance, and soon. Join us as this investigation of the Pompeii House continues on February 26th.
in part three of this series. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast. And consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash The Night Owl Podcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. My dad, Sam, for his incredible historical research. Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode. Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. My partner, Peyton, for encouraging me every time the workload for the show weighs heavy on my shoulders and assisting on our investigations with photography. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftworks Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com, and set your creative self free. 